Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. All right, guys, I have a super awesome episode today with Cameron Harold, the author of Vivid Vision and uh, a bunch of other books that, that he wrote. A uh, guy basically co-founded uh, 1-800-JUNK. And man, this guy is an international speaker, and he's going to share some awesome secrets to leadership, managing people, and scaling how to build a solid team for your real estate syndication business. So I'm really excited about that. Did want to shout out that if you value mentorship, if that's something that's important to you, that you might be able to accelerate your goals and uh, avoid some of the bigger mistakes, then check out our mentoring program, themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor, where we can basically help you do your first deal within the first 12 months. In fact, we guarantee it. And you're teed up with a, a, you know, a full-time syndicator. So check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Also want to give a shout out to Alex Strath on iTunes left us a review on iTunes for the podcast. He says, I was listening to your podcast and I really like what you're doing with it. You've got a real talent for making the guests feel comfortable and helping them open up. You have a great format and the way you mixed up guests and topics. Uh, so I appreciate it, Alex. Uh, that's pretty cool. So today we're going to raise it up a little bit and talk about scaling and leadership and hiring and all that kind of stuff. And so before we get into the interview, let's bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on? What's going on, Michael? Yeah. So today we're talking about entrepreneurship and leadership and man, since we just recorded it, Cameron really brought a lot of really, really actionable things. But I remember, I, I just remember when I got started, maybe even you got started, our ability to delegate or my ability to delegate, it was so limited because we're so competent, Garrett. We can do so many different things. So as a result, we did a lot of things we probably shouldn't have, and then probably entered partnerships we shouldn't have, you know? And so, you know, talk about, let's talk about scaling really quick, a little bit about the people component as, as well. Like what are some of the, what are some of the to-dos and not to-dos? I think what happens in our business quite often is everybody's so quick to rush into like partnerships because that's how they're going to delegate or they feel comfortable doing that. And, and I think going in that direction can be a slippery slope because you got to think these businesses that you're buying, the apartment complexes, typically it's a five to seven year hold. And if you're bringing on a bunch of partners, not everybody's going to know what to do and it may cause inefficiencies. And so rather than look at potentially a million partners or whatever that situation is, you see, you see it all the time. You may consider trying to offload some of the tasks to somebody that you hire earlier on. And it would start with even something as simple as a VA or EA. And just, just to get some of those tasks off your plate and free up your time to be able to work on the business more. Yeah. I mean, I remember in early as I did everything. I mean, you know, so especially if you're coming and you're getting paid a hundred grand for whatever job you're doing right now. Okay. And, and you're doing you know, you're scraping stuff off. You're you know, you're going to LoopNet and you're creating a list of of brokers. That takes you two hours. Right? That's that that is not a good use of your time. That you can hire someone on Upwork and a virtual assistant says, go to LoopNet, search this these zip codes of city and get me a list of twenty brokers. Okay, and so the two hours it takes this person to do that. Now you have two hours to actually you know meet with investors or actually call on those brokers. And it's little things like that. It's it's more of like a mindset. You know, I can't afford this person. Well, I you know the argument is you have to afford this person. Even if you come out of pocket, you know, one of my own team members uh, on the team literally hired his own VA 
because he's not as organized. He's really good at what he does. He's just not very organized. So he pays for a VA out of his own pocket to make him appear more organized than he actually is. Well, why doesn't everybody do it? Even if you have a job right now, go to your boss and say, you know what? I'm going to hire a virtual assistant. They'd be like, what? Yeah, virtual assistant. And I'm, they're going to, I mean, anything really. I mean, even even going to the, the dry cleaner, it's an hour of your time. An hour is an hour. It doesn't really matter what the activity is. And really thinking about what can you delegate and what is the highest and best use of your time. I think really starting to notice those things. And when you get to a certain point, you realize that your time is so valuable and and understanding and paying attention to that on a a consistent basis, well, naturally you'll, you'll have this pain inside you when you're doing a task that you know is beneath you. And that's when you want to, you make a list of all those things and you find someone to figure out how to do that. And if you spend the time initially upfront, it's super hard to get that offloaded because you have to train the person maybe to how to figure out how to do the task like you did, but you're really teaching that person how to fish versus catching the fish for them. And it's going to make a material difference in your business and your life. Yeah. Multifamily syndication is really a people business, really like any other business. And most likely you're going to have at least one partner when you first start out. And it is so, so there we go. Now you're faced with, should I partner with this, with this person? Is this the right person? Do I need a partner? And then what does that first hire look like? So this syndication business, if you are thinking of anything beyond a first deal, which you should be doing, because if you do one deal, you're going to do second, third, fourth, and fifth, the people component becomes a, a major thing. And so I, I've been, we've been talking a lot about this on the podcast around thinking around scale. Now, certainly if you've done your first deal, you're forced to think about scale, but I want you guys to think about scale right now. I want you to think about the first deal more of a foregone conclusion that you will do your first deal. And when you do your first deal through the law of the first deal, you're going to do second and third. And so start thinking about scale. How are you going to approach this from more of an aspect of scale? And through that, you really need to think about people, partners, and who to hire virtual assistants. So, So with that, we have best-selling author Cameron Harold here on the show. This is awesome. This guy has been around a lot. He is very sought, very hard to get on a podcast, by the way. He has written books like Vivid Vision, which has made a material difference to me and, and our business. He also, uh, at age 42, he engineered 1-800-GOT-JUNK-SPECTACULAR-GROWTH as COO. Uh, was there for six and a half years, grew it from 2 million as a 14th employee to 106 million. Uh, and they had 3,100 employees. And he has since then, you know, coached and mentored CEOs and COOs. And he he's just amazing wealth of of knowledge. So we're going to talk a lot about people and scale and leadership. Let's get ready to interview with Cameron Harold. Cameron, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. Hey, Garrett. Hey. So I see you're hanging out your house, but it sounds like that's about to change. It's very much about to change. I am three days away from moving to literally living on the on the road. My two kids are are out of the house or almost out of the house. Sold my home and my uh, car and everything in Arizona. Got rid of my place in British Columbia. Got rid of my car and everything up here. Yeah, I've gotten rid of everything. I, I'm literally down to a five by ten foot storage locker in each city. And I used to have like a nine thousand square foot home in Arcadia with two guest houses in Arizona. So I'm I'm down to digital nomad. Yeah. I love that. And that's been on your bucket list for a while. I guess it's, it doesn't sound, you know, everyone listening, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like a great, a great thing, but it sounds like that's something you've been working towards for a while. Yeah. I've always been a big traveler as well. I mean, even just during the two years of COVID, I went to 14 countries, you know, I just came back from Antarctica two months ago. So I've been, I've been on the road and traveling and loving travel forever. My fiance and I are getting married in Greece in in uh, just over two weeks in Mykonos. 
yeah, we're just, we want to explore the world. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So I, I just want to let, say your, your book, Vivid Vision, really made a material difference uh, to me and, and our business. It created a lot of clarity for me and, and got everyone kind of on the same page. So for everyone, and actually, I recommend that book all the time. So if you guys have not read Cameron's book, Vivid Vision, you must do so. Because today we're going to talk a lot about, about leadership and clarity. And, and I think that's, that's a missing link in many different things. Now, for me, I didn't figure out I was an entrepreneur until I was in my mid-30s. You, however, were literally like born as an entrepreneur. Like, <laughs> how did that start for you? Yeah, I, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurship. So one grandfather was the CEO of a pharmaceutical company. My other grandparents built and, and ran a hunting and fishing resort that was very well renowned. And then my father was an entrepreneur as well. And they raised the three kids, my brother and my sister and I, myself to all be entrepreneurs. So we've all been running our own companies for between 15 and 25 years. I was an entrepreneur, really my whole, I actually did a talk that's on the main TED website about raising entrepreneurial kids. And I had probably 15 different entrepreneurial ventures by the time I was 18 years old. When I was 21, I had 12 full-time employees. So all I've ever really known was working for myself. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Now, I know you had a, before you got to 1-800-JUNK, what, I, I, tell us that story, how you got involved in that. Sure. So I was involved in, I, I always put myself into these mastermind groups and communities where I could continue to grow as a leader. You know, I started off with College Pro Painters, where I really learned business and management and coaching of entrepreneurs. I ended up on the very senior leadership team of College Pro Painters, which became the largest residential house painting company in the world. I left there and I was a partner in a chain of auto body collision repair shops. I built the franchising group out for what's called Boyd Auto Body in Canada and Gerber Auto Collision in the US. It's now the largest collision repair chain in the world. When I left there, I was hired as the president of a private currency company. And during the, the private currency business and the auto body business, I was in an entrepreneur's organization forum group. And Brian, who had started what was called the Rubbish Boys, was in my forum. And he really wanted someone to coach him and help him grow his business. And I left the private currency company that we sold. And I joined Brian as his 14th employee. We'd been in a forum together for five years. So he'd seen me building the businesses. I'd seen him building what he was doing. And I joined as employee number 14. And six and a half years later, after being COO through that tenure, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. We'd gone from 12 cities to 330, from 2 million to 106 million in revenue. And I would have been the COO through all of that. Now, what, what would you say your mission is now? And kind of how has that, how has that changed a little bit over the, over the years? Yeah, it's funny. And I actually left 15 years ago. So I left got junk, 1-800-GOT-JUNK 15 years ago next week. Brian and I were supposed to have dinner tonight. I left there 15 years ago and I started working behind the scenes, coaching real companies, typically 50 to 500 employees. And I've done paid speaking events in 26 countries on seven continents. And I've, I've kind of built out an organization called the COO Alliance. Everything has everything in my career has led to, which I think is for all of us, right? It's always led to what we're doing next. Yeah, that's uh, that's so cool. So you've you've seen you've seen a lot of a lot of leaders, both successful and unsuccessful. And what would you say makes a successful leader or maybe a not so successful leader? Oh, I think one is just the, the emotional intelligence to truly be aware of everything that's happening around you. I think another one for a leader is that self-growth that they're always looking to continue to grow. I think it's very dangerous when a leader externalizes and blames other factors for their struggles or their problems. I think it's very strong when they kind of blame themselves. So we call that introspection. 
So I think the really, really good leaders always look for where they could have done better, where they could have done more, where they could have grown more. And they're always trying to continue to grow that. Yeah, those kinds of things. I've got, I've got lots. So one of some of the major mistakes that, that you've seen leaders make, I mean, if you've worked with in your capacity and you're, going, you're joining one of these as a, as a coach or mentor and you're shaking your head going, oh my gosh, <laughs> what a dysfunctional bunch. Well, and, I, and I've been in that group as well, right? So we're, we're, I'll just go off the top. You know, one would be focus, uh, especially the entrepreneurial leaders tend to go from big, shiny object to big, shiny object. So th- that lack of focus can hurt them. The lack of, of delegation and understanding how to delegate properly. Like there's actually, you can, you can codify, I've even codified how to delegate properly, how to systemize to delegate to get the result you're looking for. I don't think a lot of leaders have worked hard at becoming really good at coaching and growing and developing people. You know, I think if we flipped the org chart upside down, where the CEO is at the bottom, supporting the managers who are supporting the employees who are supporting the customers, almost like an inverted pyramid, that's the proper org chart. But this whole, like the way our grandparents ran businesses, which was the do it my way, it's my way or the highway, you know, the, the autocratic dictatorial, do what I say, that doesn't work anymore. And to to truly grow a great company, you have to be able to grow people's skills and grow their confidence. And I don't think a lot of leaders have worked hard enough at understanding how to grow employees and managers and leaders' skills and confidence both. Uh, There's so much there, Cameron. Let's let's talk about each, each of those. So lack of focus. Lack of focus and lack of delegation. I mean, I see this all the time, even even t- to some degree, I had shiny objectitis, especially in the real estate investing space, right? Well, you could flip a house, you could wholesale a house, landlord a house, you could flip some land, you could buy this, do mobile home parks, do multifamily, you can gr- do a ground up development. And so there's a lot of this lack of focus on the one hand. And how, do, how does someone kind of cut through that? So I actually have what we call the secret formula that we kind of developed back in the one god junk days that the true secret formula to success, and everybody can write this down and we can work through it together, is F times F times E equals success. The first F is focus. And you can give yourself a percentage grade of somewhere between one and 100%. And let's say that you just thought about from, from the last month that we were in, so we're recording this May 3rd, let's say for April, how focused were you in the last month? You know, were you focused on the right strategy? Were you focused on your plan? Did you wake up in the morning focused on your goals? Were you driving towards your vivid vision? Or were you distracted? Were you all over the place? Were you, you know, marketing to everybody? Were you, you know, distracted by emails and social media? So you have to give yourself a grading as a company or as a business area or as a leader on focus. The second one is faith. And it's how much are you protecting your confidence as a leader? Right, because we have to have faith in our team, faith in ourselves, faith in our business plan, our model, our economy, our suppliers. So if you start blaming other things, it starts shaking the foundation of faith, and that's really what you have to build your business off of. And I'm not, not talking about faith in a god. I'm talking about faith in yourself and your business and your model and your team and your skills. And are you doing enough to grow those things and protect those things? So you give yourself a score of somewhere between one and a hundred percent on faith. You guys can do this right now as well for your business. And then think about effort. You know, over the last 30 days, how much effort are you really putting in, right? Is, are you working nine to five or five to nine, right? Are you, are you working hard or hardly working? And you need to, to really look in the mirror and, and answer that question. Because I think a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur, but they want to be an entrepreneur because they see the jet set lifestyle and the freedom, but they don't realize how long it takes to get to the night before you become that overnight success story. 
So you give yourself a, a rating of somewhere between one and hundred percent on, on effort. And then you multiply those out. So let's say you've got 50% focus times 50% faith times 50% effort. That's 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5. That's a 12.5% chance of success, right? Even if you get 80% focus times 80% effort times 80% faith, sorry, focus, faith, and effort, that's only a 51.2% chance of success. So people think they're doing well at 80% focus, 80% faith, 80% effort. You've got 50-50 odds. You might as well go all in on Vegas on one roll because you've got just about the same odds of being successful in your business. Even if you get yourself to 90% focus times 90% faith times 90% effort, that's only a 72.8% chance of success. You're still not there. You've still got 25% chance of going bust. The reason that I've been successful or my companies have been successful, that our 1-800-GOT-JUNK was successful we were maniacal around focus, right? 98% focus times 98% faith times 98% effort, removing all distractions from those, that gave us a 94% chance of success. Those were reasonable odds. So we had a story years ago of a franchisee in Virginia Beach and our call center got a phone call from a woman who wanted us to haul junk on, let's say Main Street. And it was like number 13 Main Street. And we said, I'm sorry, ma'am, we can't service that zip code. She goes, what are you talking about? You're across the street at number 12 Main Street doing a job. And we looked up that address. We said, yes, ma'am, that side of the street is zip code, you know, 85010. You're at 85011. We don't, she goes, that's ridiculous. You're across the street. And I said, no, but if we did yours, then we would do one 10 houses over and 17 blocks over and two zip codes over. We only service the zip codes that are turned on. She was upset. But that principle of focus helped everybody be hyper successful. And sooner or later, Rick Gallagher opened that zip code, bought another truck, put more marketing dollars in and became a multi-million dollar franchise. But it was because we were willing to turn away things to stay hyper focused. That's what made us successful. Most entrepreneurs are not focused. They wake up in the morning and they're checking their email. They're on social media. They're doing busy work, but they're not necessarily working on the critical few things. Now, it really starts with the, the critical few things, and then you have to really laser in on that. And that kind of helps dictate what decisions you're making throughout the day. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, it does. It also really, really allows you to, to think clearly. It allows you to say no to certain things as well, right? If you have that really strong principle of focus, you can say no to certain opportunities that are the wrong ones, and you start to notice the right opportunities as well. Right? We're always presented with a plethora of opportunities. The key is to say yes to the ones that are aligned with our vivid vision, aligned with the ones that are aligned with our goals, aligned with what, you know, even I'll give you an example. People that read a book a week is ridiculous. It's completely pointless to read a book a week about business because all of those ideas are so random. They're not aligned with what you're working on. You should read a book this week about something you're working on this month. You should read another book next week about something you're working on next month. But just to read the next general business book that somebody mentioned to you is crazy because it, it adds more stress. It adds more random stuff to your to-do list and it's not focused. Yeah, it's, it's probably an, an, a no accident that you co-authored uh, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. But let's, <laughs> let's talk about clarity for, for a little while because you talked about it several times now in conjunction of, of focus. And this is something that I really didn't pay much attention to until about seven, maybe eight years ago about creating clarity creating a morning routine, things of that nature. Talk about the role of clarity and the vivid vision in general. Like, what is it real quick? What does it entail? And then how can you use it to guide the leader? So the vivid vision concept is we can't read each other's minds, 
right? And, and you guys are in, in and around the real estate space. You'll understand this perfectly. If I, if I went to the number one contractor in, in Arizona or the number one contractor in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I said, here's 3 million bucks, build me my dream home. You know, here's $500 per square foot, build me my dream home. And then I, and then I leave and I come back, you know, 18 months later, they will have built me an amazing home, but it probably doesn't look anything like what I imagined. It may have more or less bedrooms. It may have more or less social space. It may be more or less floors than I wanted. It may not have the same flow I was thinking about. It may have different cabinetry or trim work because I, I didn't explain everything of what I wanted my dream home to look like, act like, and feel like. Well, in our business, to have a one-sentence mission statement and expect people to understand everything is crazy because the vivid vision becomes a four or five page description of your company three years from now. It describes your leadership team, describes your employees, describes your customer relationships, describes what your employees are writing on Glassdoor and Indeed. It describes your meeting rhythms and your leadership team and your, your dashboards. It describes your marketing. It describes your relationships with customers and suppliers, almost like you're walking around your company three years from now, describing everything you can see you end up pulling that into a document, not saying how it happened, right? If I'm building my home, I don't say how to do the electrical or how to do the plumbing, but I need to describe it enough so they know how to do it, right? The vivid vision becomes that finished state of your company three years from now so that people can help you figure out how to make it come true. And so the idea is now becomes anytime you do anything, you uh, try to line that with your vivid vision. Everything that's outside of it, you're like, huh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should focus on that. Does it really truly align? Exactly. And when you when your employees are clear on your vivid vision, right? So they're clear on the company. They understand why you're saying no to some things and yes to some things. They understand why that some areas are budgeted for and some are not. When your suppliers are clear on what you're building, they can help you make it come true. When your customers are clear, they're excited about working with you because they know what you're building in the future. But if all you talk about is what you have today, it's kind of kind of meh. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year, and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Hey guys, uh, if you're listening to this right now, what I see with syndicators is a complete and utter lack of clarity and vision, okay? Because it all starts out with some kind of side gig or hobby and I buy this multifamily and you're doing it all on your own and you're not thinking strategically. So I recommend listen to Cameron right now and get this book and really think, it might take you several hours to think through this vivid vision of where this business can be because you guys are headed into a business that could generate multiple millions of dollars per year for you and your family in, in about three years. So really sit down and think about what that looks like. Now, you mentioned one of the other things about lack of clarity and, and focus, and I also see this, and that is an inability or lack of delegation. And I think it's probably because most people 
this is their first foray into entrepreneurship. One of the cool things about real estate or multifamily specifically is the bar to become an entrepreneur is much lower than any other business you can think of. It's just much easier to get into it because you have professional property manager, you have readily available financing. It's just a lot easier to get into it. So that being said, however, doesn't make the entrepreneur a good entrepreneur when they start. And one of the things I notice a lot is an inability to delegate. People who are normally are get, getting paid $120,000 for their job will do the most menial thing that they can probably outsource for $20 and they will spend hours doing it. And it really holds them back. They just can't wrap their head around the idea of possibly hiring someone. How do you help leaders delegate better? Well, there's a couple, a couple parts. The first one is if you don't have an executive assistant, you are one, right? So for anyone listening right now, if you're, you know, probably no one cleans their own toilets and washes their own floors, right? We hire a cleaning lady for that. Well, what about getting the executive assistant to get all the menial, minimum wage, redundant, repetitive tasks off your plate that aren't necessarily in your unique ability? The key is to free up your time so you're only doing the stuff that you're really good at and the stuff that really gives you energy so that you delegate everything except genius. So the first step is really getting that EA in place. Second thing, and I learned this from Dan Sullivan at Strategic Coach, is kind of doing an activity inventory on yourself. Pretend that someone followed you around with a video camera for an entire month. And then pretend that you wrote down everything that you saw yourself doing on that video. And then categorize each of those things. Let's say you do 80 different things over the course of a month, from like booking flights and going to meetings and coaching people and replying to emails, right? 80 different tasks that you do. Categorize each task in one of four ways. Either I for incompetent, C for competent, E for excellent, and U for unique ability. So incompetent means you suck at it. Competent means you're okay at it. Excellent means you're really, really good at it, but you don't necessarily love doing it. And unique ability is the stuff you're really good at and you would do for free, except your kids have to eat, right? That's the core is to start delegating the incompetent and competent and getting that stuff off your plate. So at least you're left with the excellent unique ability. But when you can start delegating the stuff you're excellent at, you know, you could be really good at it, but you don't get energized from it. That's when you really supercharge your business. When you're left with only working on the stuff that actually fuels you and gives you energy and you're really good at it as well. Most entrepreneurs struggle with all of that. In our business, they, we typically segment. So you have like, there's deal finders, there's people that they just focus on raising money. You could almost put that into the category of their unique ability. It's whatever people gravitate towards. But then you get into the business and there's other areas like accounting, you know, finance, there's, there's different components that exist. And I remember there was a period of time where I didn't know all of them, but I just focused on, you know, my segment. And I felt like I wasn't as valuable to the marketplace. Now, now I kind of know every single facet of it. And, and so my question is, do you get to that point and then start delegating or do you just start, do you just kind of launch into it from the get-go and try to start delegating those out right away? Yeah, I, I really try to free up my time as soon as possible to work on the higher leverage activities, right? That if there's anything on my plate, that's a mi minimum wage job, why am I doing it? What's my effective hourly rate and how do I delegate anything below that effective hourly rate? Right. If, if you were going to pay someone to do your job as a leader, what would you pay them? So if you're going to pay somebody 250 grand a year to do your job, that's 125 bucks an hour. Why are you doing $15 an hour tasks and paying yourself 125 to do it? It makes no sense. 
So the other question to go along with that is, let's say your revenue doesn't support your ability to offload all of those tasks. When Do you, you overhire and float it? Do you? No, when you offload some of them, what happens is that the more that you start off, you know, offloading, it starts freeing up your time to actually work on the higher leverage activities, right? So if you're working on the higher leverage activities, then you're probably starting to generate more revenue again. That's the key. The key is to offload everything so that you're generating more of the higher, the higher return, right? Like if I spend an hour doing minimum wage job that maybe I can't afford to pay someone to do, if I just paid somebody 20 bucks for that hour and I spent one hour looking for revenue, I'd probably create revenue. That's, that's a good point. But to Garrett's point, it's a little bit of a chicken egg problem. And I've heard this a lot as well. I don't have any revenue coming in. Therefore, I, don't have, I can't invest in a, a VA. Right. So, so in this particular example, if you have a job paying six figures, whatever, you have to come out of pocket, right? You, you hire someone for five, five hours a week. And that then in turn, that investment in turn will then generate uh, the revenue you're looking for. But I think, I think that that's the thing that people can't get over. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not going to, I'm going to hire executive assistant. My boss should hire me an executive assistant. I shouldn't pay for my own executive assistant. So there's this chicken and egg problem, you know, and I've heard this many times before that, well, I don't have any money to, I don't, I can't afford it. Yeah. You're right, though. It's just afford five hours, right? If they can afford the five hours, then they free up five hours. Five hours at 15 bucks. Like The reality is, look, if somebody is wanting to get into business for themselves and they can't offload five hours a week to somebody at 20 bucks an hour, if they can't spend $100 a week, they have no business getting into business for themselves. Zero. And, And frankly, I think a lot of people are delirious thinking that they should be an entrepreneur, but they want to have their cake and eat it too. You can't, you, you actually have to like, don't drink a latte every day. Don't go to the bar with your buddies every day. Cancel a Netflix script, like cut some costs in some other areas of your life to free up time to build your business. But if you, if you have to have a full-time job and you can't like, you, you do have to, you got to have to fund it somehow. That's so interesting. It's not asking, you know, can I do this, but how can I do this, right? As entrepreneurs, we have to be resourceful. I, I like that a lot. How can you free up the 20, 30, 50 bucks to hire a VA to free you up another three or four hours? I love that. Now, once you get over the hump of delegating, and I, I've kind of had this, this issue a little bit where I have the, a little bit of the opposite problem. I have no problem delegating. But my problem is I don't develop the people. It's the third thing that you, you mentioned. So I will delegate happily and go, here you go, Keys, call me later, right? Here you go. Here's a little training for you and you figure it out because you're smart. That's why I hired you. You know, and that I sail into the sunset. I don't do that anymore. But talk about developing people. So as a, as a manager, as a leader, what are some of the best practices for developing people? Well, the first one is to sit down and think about where do the people individually need to be in 12 months and 24 months and where are they currently, right? So where do you want them in their ideal future state? Where are they now? And how do you reverse engineer that delta? And then creating a plan to get them towards where you need them to be. So that's individually creating a a personal development plan, right? A PDP. Second part is to look at a base level of skills that people need to be good at to excel in their jobs, right? So what might those be? They need to be good at time management. They probably need to be good at email management, you know, or Slack, like they need to be good at communication. They need to be good at handling conflict. If they're managing people, they need to be good at delegation and coaching and one-on-one meetings. Everybody needs to be good at running meetings because we all run phone calls and attend meetings or run meetings, right? So there's the base level of skills that you can weave into that personal growth plan as well. So you get into 
this growth plan, but that so often you're in this position where you're, especially in today's market, you're looking to hire people, you go down the hiring path and everything looks great. And then you get, you get into the hire and there's, you notice some major deficiencies. How can you prevent that? The two parts. The first one is to do a retrospective on how you hired that person in the first place, right? What was wrong with our interview process? It's one of the 12 skills that I have in my investor and your leaders course is teaching people how to do interviews. It blows my mind that any managers are allowed to do job interviews and we haven't put them through training on how to do interviews. Most managers, most leaders, most CEOs, most entrepreneurs have never had any training on how to interview or hire people. And yet what do they do? They start interviewing and hiring people. That's ridiculous. That's like letting an electrician come in and do electrical work without knowing how to do electrical work. You'd never do it. So go back and go through your process and find out what was broken with your process that allowed this person to get through in the first place. If they were the right person, what was wrong with your onboarding process that allowed you to bring them in and onboard them in the wrong way? If the onboarding process is good and maybe the company just doubled, then what was wrong with your ability to continue to grow their skills as the company doubled? You know, it's those kinds of things that we need to, to look at as a retrospective. Once you've looked at those, that, that builds a better base going forward. Because I don't want to just solve employee one that we're having a problem with. I want to fix the system so we don't have it with the next seven as well. If you then do have an employee that is, is the wrong employer, they don't have the right skills, you need to sit down, do the come to Jesus meeting, show them where you need them to be, show them where they are create a plot to get there and find out if they're actually in the right seat. If you decide to keep them, your job is to coach them and grow them. Again, all stuff I try to cover in my Invest in Your Leaders course too. That's awesome. And so speaking of the hiring process, I mean, hiring is, is one thing. The other one that's very common in industry is partnering. So typically what happens is there's a, there's typically two partners that will get together to you know buy a, a building and and not just one, but maybe two or three, or you know, in this case, there's three of us, we've been doing a bunch of deals together. And so there's a lot of partnering going on uh, in this space. Typically, what Garrett says, you know, one will gravitate towards finding deals. They're a numbers person. They're more detail-oriented. The other person raises capital. They're uh, relationship people. And those partnerships work really well. But the question always comes is, how do I prevent a bad partnership? Because partnerships are great, but a lot of people, I've been through bad partnerships or I've seen bad partnerships. And it's a little different than for an employee because employee, well, you can fire them. With a partner, they typically have equity and it's a little bit like getting married and it's much messier. What advice do you have for maybe you know, finding the right partner? The whole part about the partnership is, is, again, slightly different. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get into business and feel they need a partner because of, of a couple of things. One is the imposter syndrome, that they don't feel like they have the skills to actually run the business on their own. In which point I would say, then go get the skills because the skills are easier to acquire than a partner or they feel they don't necessarily have the capital to do it. So they try to bring in a partner. Well, that's fine. If you're going to bring a financial partner in, bring in a financial partner that doesn't have any operational control or operational say. They get into it kind of too quickly without really knowing what the person is that they're trying to fill the gap for. That's all. That's good advice. I mean, we did the same thing. We brought in partners a little bit too easily in, in, you know, in the beginning, right, Garrett? And so it was the easy thing to do, but then you know, the partner didn't really actually live up to their expectations. And then you have like, well, how do I get rid of them? Their equity, right? And so it makes it, it – it's a good point not asking the question, do I really need a partner? And number two, you know, is it the right person? Yeah. It's the right person part. You've got to really understand the trust component. Right? Do you really, really implicitly already trust that person before you start with them? Do they have that right yin and yang match 
right? With the, are they bringing in the right areas to your weaknesses? Are you going to be able to agree on roles and responsibilities, that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, there's a lot there. So what's kind of your final advice to, this is an entrepreneur, right? And we literally have this vehicle where someone can quit their job within one year by getting started in multifamily syndications. It's, it's amazing. And we've developed a system to, to teach people how to do that. And it's really, really cool. And you, like you said, not everyone is made for entrepreneurship. And I had Gina Wickman on, on the podcast a little while ago, and we had a great uh, discussion around, hey, are entrepreneurs born or made? His argument was that they're born. My argument is more, that, hey, you know what? They're made. And we we're both right to some extent. I, I think the, it's both. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just spoke about this yesterday. The entrepreneurial DNA is something you're born with, but the entrepreneurial skill set is something you develop. But I think you need to have both. If you just have the skills, but you don't have the entrepreneurial DNA and the mindset and like that whole, you can't learn it. There's something that most entrepreneurs are ADD and most entrepreneurs are bipolar. The ADD is something you can't learn, but it allows us to see everything. It allows us to see what's happening to the customer, supplier, the market, the economy, our pulse, our culture, the numbers, the website. You see everything. It's a DNA thing. And the reason the education system hates it or doctors hate it is we're not like them, but we're not supposed to be like them. I've never found a doctor that's inspiring. I've never found a teacher that's super inspiring. The mania of ADD and bipolar is what attracts people. The stress and depression is simply us course correcting. So there's a DNA thing that makes an entrepreneur, but the, the skill set of leadership and coaching and delegation and time management and problem solving and tech stack, those are learned skills. You need to have both. Without both, you'll never get a business past 20 or 30 people. Gino's world with traction is very much kind of in that 50 employee zone. Mine is really kind of from the, the 20, 30 to the two, 3,000. You need to be able to have both to get there. But I think, I think too many people are trying to be an entrepreneur because they think it's cool and they have the skills, but they don't have the DNA to do it. So I think you're both right. It just, it's a merge. I love that. Cameron, I got a question. So you're obviously in this stage of your life, you're kind of nomading around the world, which I've been there and it's, it's an unbelievable time. And the time, my phase of kind of uh, my world is you know, we've got a big momentum in the business and we're kind of, you know, grinding it out. Not really a lot of time to, to do a lot of stuff. How do you feel about when you're in a business and and you're there and you're building it and growing it about deterring from that? Cause you talk about focus. Do you do it in segments? Do you get to this, this big finish and sell it and then go on to your next thing or how, how do you think someone should look at, at their business? Should they make it like a a sprint for, for a while and really just that's all they do and don't really set aside time for, for much freedom or, no. or do you kind of, do you kind of do both? I mean, I'm just curious about your take on that. I know a yeah, little bit about it, but I want to hear more. A few parts. So the, the first part is I think to build a better business, you have to build in balance and work-life integration from the very beginning. Because if you say that you're going to work really hard for a sprint, you're going to work hard to catch up. You're going to work hard. You won't. You're creating a lie system for yourself that you'll never get out of that doom loop. We'll never catch up. We'll never get it all done. It'll always be bigger, faster, more profitable, whatever. So no, build in the work-life integration, build in the balance from the get-go. It'll force you to delegate. It'll force you to focus. It'll force you to work on the critical few things. In terms of how big to build it or when to sell it or whatever, I have a very global perspective on that now. I've worked with entrepreneurs in 26 countries. I've actually been paid to speak to groups of entrepreneurs now on all seven continents. I just got back from speaking in Antarctica. 
what's different, North Americans are very much this build to sell mentality that was created because of the dot-com era from 94 to 98. And then again, kind of in the, the 2002 to 2007 era, where it was really kind of cool to build and sell and build and have an exit. And, and, and that's even happening now. Thankfully, we're getting a big correction right now where it's kind of showing people that if you're too leveraged, you're fucked. Like debt is good until it's bad. And I think right now, what I see globally more is people build companies, they put teams in place to run them. They continue running that company. They start another company, they build teams to run them. I've got a friend in India that's running seven businesses. Two of them have 5,000 employees. He doesn't run them. He's now got teams in place. One of them is a business his grandfather started. One is one his dad started, but they build these legacy businesses to continue and they put proper systems and proper teams and proper financing in place to build wealth and cash flow and time instead of like the whole make a quick buck and the hustle and the, you know, there's too much of a gamble in that, I think, for too many. Yeah. I love that, Cameron. We touched on so many different things about entrepreneurship and leadership and, and scaling. So really love that. Cameron, how can people uh, connect with you and learn more from all the resources that, that you have to be help us become better leaders? Yeah, I, I think the best resource for, for everyone listening is the Invest in Your Leaders. So it's investinyourleaders.com. That would be something that I would sign up themselves and you know two or three or at least of their managers for that. And then all five of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. That would be great starting points for sure. And then they can also check out the Second in Command podcast on everywhere you listen to podcasts. That's awesome. Cameron, it's been really a pleasure to have you on the show today and uh, wish you safe and happy travels. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Garrett, thanks for having me. And some of his observations around what leaders, the mistakes leaders make was fascinating to me because I've seen, I've seen it in my own past and I see it in other people. A lack of focus is a perfect example. And I love his formula. Focus times faith times effort is the chance of success. Oh my gosh. You literally got to focus on all three of those because if you have focus and no effort, you're not going to get there, right? If you focus but don't have any faith or confidence in yourself, well, you're not going to get there either. And certainly if there's no effort, you're not going to get there either. So focusing on all three aspects of that, when you're about to set about, okay, I'm gonna, how am I going to focus? All right, we're going to do vivid vision. How am I going to develop faith and confidence? Well, you might need a mentor. And we talked about that that early. You might need a mentor to help you with faith or maybe a mastermind or so. And then effort, right? It's because consistent effort each and every day. What are you going to do about that? It might require accountability. And so you need to address all three of those to be successful. I really like how he broke that down. Yeah, I, I actually really resonated with that. And, and to go along with what he was talking about, he said that, you know, when he was, he was mentioning someone's following you around with a camera and, and videoing your, your, yourself at what you're doing on a daily basis. And he said, you know, of those tasks, are you incompetent, competent, excellent, or is it your unique ability? And I think, I think that's so important to put your, put your tasks in those kind of buckets, figure out kind of what you're doing to go along with your focus. How are you focusing? How are, how are you making things happen? And what tasks are you doing that are below your pay grade that you shouldn't be doing that should be offloaded? I think all those things really hit home for me. Yeah, absolutely. And then my gosh, you know, I love the line. If you don't have a if you don't have a VA, you are one. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I yeah. I love that so much, so man. You guys, if you're listening to this right now, you gotta hire a VA. And and you can get VAs. I mean, you can get them very affordably and like in the Philippines. If you don't need someone to be on the phones, you need someone to do anything with social media or any kind of researchers. We just we brought on a couple amazing competence 
for like, you know, $5 an hour. It's amazing. If, if you need someone, you know, a little more competent, you're going to pay more than that. But think of all the things that you do each and every day and how can you outsource, even in your current job right now, you know, expense reports, for example, how long does an expense report take? You know, little things like that. And can you maybe align yourself with a VA? So uh, delegating is absolutely a key task in life in general, but specifically when you become an entrepreneur. You know, I think that as you get further into it, you know, you just start to realize that you just can't make it all happen. And it, and you may be holding yourself back. You may be the bottleneck that's keeping you from scaling your business. And if when you think about it like that, ask yourself, am I the bottleneck? Because I'm trying to do way too many things and I, and not everything's getting done or this could be getting done better. And we can't scale because of that. I think that's a really powerful question. And I think everything that we're talking about today really hits on it goes kind of goes back to that when it comes to just growing a business. Well, here's the thing is, I mean, we're all so highly competent people. We can do so many different things, but that becomes the bottleneck, right? You can't, there's not, not enough hours in the day to do everything. Therefore, you have to have help. How, you know, how can you find help? And so people is an absolute key in, in really in anything, even in your current job, you see it right now. You can't do without a team. Certainly in the syndication business, a team is absolutely vital and knowing how to find, how to recruit those people and how to keep them in development is absolutely key. So uh, if you're getting in a syndication business, you got to pay attention to this stuff. Uh, read some of Cameron books, especially Vivid Vision really was impactful to me. He's got a few other ones that are really, really good. Check out his training that he mentioned and go through that leadership training. And if this is all, you know, a little bit too too much for you and you don't want to get your hands dirty and, and hire people and hold them accountable and, and just grow this portfolio yourself, good news. If you have money to invest, you can just invest with us, with Nighthawk. Invest with me, Garrett, and Drew Niffen. And we'd love to have a conversation with you. We are sourcing multifamily deals uh, constantly. And we'd love to have a conversation with you if you're interested in investing passively in syndications. So head on over to nighthawkequity.com. Click the join button, schedule a call with us. We'd love to have a conversation. All right. Without there, focus on your, on your focus and your faith and your effort so that you can be successful. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.